All right, again, welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. On Wednesday nights, we do things a little bit different than on Sunday morning. Sunday morning is usually a topical message where I'll take a topic and jump around and do whatever. But on Wednesday nights, we take a book of the Bible, then we go through it verse by verse in context. We try to encourage you to bring your Bibles with you. How many got your Bibles with you? Oh, good. You're doing good. Uh, so you can follow along, see what's going, where I've been, where I'm going, blah, 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 blah. We just finished the uh, book of James. Uh, great book. I love the book of James. It was great fun studying that. And let me encourage you, uh, go back and just read through it now. Just a quick read and, and see how much easier it is for some of you because you'll, you'll just get the whole context and flow. It's, it's great fun. So we're doing the book of Ephesians now. Um, so we'll start in Ephesians, the very first chapter, starting at the very first verse. Paul, this is the one writing the book of Ephesians, so we're changing from James to Paul here. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. And he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Got weird noises back here. Okay, now, um, what I want to do now is... is uh, that's about as far as we're going to get in Ephesus for Ephesians right now. I want you to take a hard uh, left here and turn over to the book of Acts. Okay? Because I want you to take a look at Acts, the 19th chapter. And I want you to take a look at who these people are he's writing to. Who are these Ephesians? What's his history with them? There's two chapters in the book of Acts. Uh, it's called the Acts of the Apostles. Hence the name of the book of Acts. Uh, it's, it's the... Uh, basically the opening history of how the Christian church got started. It's a phenomenal read. Someday we'll do just the book of Acts together. Uh, a great, great study there. But uh, so starting at chapter 19, we get to where Paul comes along and uh, meets these people in Ephesus and, and starts uh, his relationship with them. So Uh, We see in verse 1, it says, While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. So this is where it begins. He finds these guys there and asks them, Hey, did you guys uh, receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, No, we never even heard there was a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, Well, then what baptism did you receive? And they said, well, John's baptism, talking about John the Baptist. And John said, well, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. Uh, And then on hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit comes on them and they speak in tongues and, and prophesy. And there were about 12 men in all. So it starts with these 12 guys that he meets um, followers of John the Baptist um, get them filled with the Holy Spirit you know they're having a great time there so Paul hangs out in Ephesus for a while so Paul entered the synagogue which was always his custom he would go in on Saturday that's when the Jews worshipped the Sabbath technically is Saturday and uh, he would go in on Saturday and when he'd have the opportunity to speak they would often um, recognize guest visitors in the Jewish community. And whenever he'd get a chance to speak, he'd get up and start preaching about Jesus and uh, cause quite a stir. Anyway, he spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned 
the way. You'll see the phrase here in, in, in the book of Acts as the way. The, the phrase Christian had not come up yet. You'll read it a little bit later in the book of Acts. We won't get there, but where they started calling them Christians. Well, up until this point, what do you call these people? Who are they? We're, I don't know, we're people. We follow Jesus, and they called it, that's the way they believe. So the early term, actually, was the people were called people of the way. So anyway, so Paul left them, and he, uh, the, 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 the Jews that were getting you know, tired of, of his story, they didn't want to believe him. Uh, and he took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. So he, uh, once they got kicked out of, of the uh, Jewish synagogue, which was usually his order. Paul usually came into town, spoke in the Jews first, uh, and then they'd kick him out. And then he'd go to the Gentiles and then take everybody off there and they'd finally throw him in jail. And then he'd get out of town eventually. But he had kind of a rough haul of it. He didn't exactly stay in the Holiday Inn when he came in to preach. So, uh, so anyway, this went on for two years. So for two years he stayed there, getting very close to these people, preaching, sharing the word of God, finding more and more converts, so that all the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So it spread everywhere. This stuff was spreading like fire. They had never heard anything like this stuff. You have to understand, up, up to this point, especially, uh, you know, among the Gentiles, in other words, anybody who wasn't Jew, Jewish, the Jews, you know, had a foundational understanding of God and the Messiah coming and all that stuff. Everybody else didn't have a clue. They didn't know anything about this stuff. They believed in dozens of gods and myths and all kinds of wild and bizarre things. And, and uh, you know, how they would have to work their way to God and all these kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, these guys come along and they start talking about this Jesus. How God sends his son Jesus. And how everybody can have forgiveness of sins by trusting in him and that there's only one God. And it's very, very radical stuff. So this word spread everywhere. Well, it says in the next verse that God, uh, God did extraordinarily, extra, extraordinary miracles through Paul. Uh, one of the neat things about when you know you're in the will of God is that God blesses you. And God does neat things in your life and answers prayers. And in this particular case, was doing great miracles as Paul was praying for people and stuff. And God is just moving everywhere, confirming the fact that Jesus really was the Son of God. And, and it was happening at such a str- strong level. In verse 12 it says, So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched him were taken to the sick. And their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. So, Paul was walking under such a strong anointing, the power of God. I mean, if you got around Paul, it was like, ho-chi-mama, it was cool. I mean, this guy could pray for you, and zingo, Jack, you were, you were zapped, you know what I'm saying? And if you were sick, people were getting healed, and miracles in their life. And it was so strong, that all he had to do was lay his hands on claws, and people would take the claws, and take him to sick people, and they were getting healed. I mean, that's... That's pretty cool, right? You know, if, I, if you take a cloth off of me, you, you just have a sweaty cloth. But he, you know, here he's got like, wow, the power of God's in the cloth. This is this is pretty wild stuff. So, now some Jews went around uh, driving out evil spirits. Uh, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. Uh, they would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. So... Um, one of the things that was very common in, in that day, you don't see it a whole lot 
in this country. I, I believe primarily because the gospel is so preached everywhere. There's not a whole lot of demon manifestations. Every once in a while you'll see something very bizarre. I've had friends who've gone to very dark parts of the world and inside India and, and uh, Africa and stuff where they've They'll tell you all kinds of stories of these people who just act very bizarre and strange and they believe they're demon possessed and you know, they'll preach the gospel for them and, 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 and these people would, would be delivered from this. But in Jesus' day, this time, it was, it was a pretty dark era in, in, in mankind and a lot of people were tormented by these spirits and uh, um, the Jews would come and they would pray for them just praying to, you know... Uh, Abba Father and, 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 and trusting that God would deliver these people but they noticed that Paul when Paul showed up and prayed for these people to be delivered boom it was like the spirits like took out of town because they so feared the name of Jesus pretty cool stuff right so it used to be when Jesus would show up all the demons would freak out well now the Christians are showing up and the demons would still freak out because the Christians were there. Because so powerful is the name of Jesus. Again, I believe one of the reasons you don't see a whole lot of that anymore is because there's so many believers. Uh, um, so anyway, so these guys thought, well wow, check it out. If you, if you use the name of Jesus like Paul does, these demons split. So they weren't believers. They were just praying for these people who were tormented and they would come and they said, you know, in the, in the name of Jesus that Paul's talking about, get out of here. And all of a sudden these spirits would leave these people and, and they were delivered. So it was kind of cool. So they started just hanging on to this uh, everywhere they're going and using the name of Jesus, even though they themselves hadn't been converted. Well, then the next verse, check this out. Well, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish a chief priest, were doing this. So these seven sons would go out and were having quite a bit of success using Paul's formula, if you will. Well, one day, they come to this guy, and he's possessed of an evil spirit, and he says, in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, get out of here. And it says here, well, the evil spirit answered, well, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you nitwits? All right? <laughs> And, and then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered all seven of them, and gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. We're talking serious butt kicking here. Okay? I mean, it's like, whoa! This was like a real intense demon who, who got that these guys didn't have the goods. I know about Jesus, I know about Paul, who are you guys, and beats the snot out of them. All right. So, well, when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. So, really amazing, cool things are happening during this two-year period. As Paul is preaching to these these, the gospel to these people who'd never heard anything remotely close to this, uh, ever. Well, many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. And when they had calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. Now, a drachma was worth about a day's wage. You're talking 50,000 days' wages here, a fair amount of money. Uh, just in the value of these uh, satanic things, they brought them, they threw them in, uh, burned them all up. Uh, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Now, after all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. Now, he didn't go yet. He just decided he was going to do this. And after I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. So he sent off two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. So he's hanging there. 
He's planning to go to Jerusalem, sends Timothy out, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Well, about that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. These Christians, these people, are having quite a bit of influence. They're popping up everywhere. People's lives are being changed. Um, you know, and, and they're winning other people. People will get really ticked at you if, if you know... They can get ticked of you if you're just obnoxious. Don't be obnoxious. But even if you're just being nice and sharing your faith, it irritates some people. It does. You know, I don't know if you've been in that situation where someone doesn't like you because you're a Christian or your family thinks you've lost your mind because you're a Christian or whatever the deal is. You can get a fair amount of static. Well, a lot of disturbance started happening because of these people. Well, there was a silversmith named Demetrius who made silver shrines of Artemis uh, and, and brought in no little business for the craftsmen. In other words, they made a lot of jack, jack, okay? These guys were making a lot of money from making these little idols of Artemis, this this goddess. And so he calls all the craftsmen together and he says, along with the workmen and related trades, and says, men, you know we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that a man... He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. This is very radical stuff. And there is a danger that not only our trade will lose its good name, (laughs) under those who will quit making money, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. So now they want to defend this goddess Artemis. Um, I think the King James Version, does anybody still have a King James Bible? Is it Diana? Diana, yeah. I don't know how these guys translated. Got one one with Artemis, the other one Diana. Anyway. This Diana of the Ephesians or Artemis, whatever her name is. This goddess. Well, when they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So, soon the whole city was in an uproar. And everybody's getting together and they're shouting and they're boogieing on Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And the people seized uh, these two Christians, Gaius and Aristarchus, whatever his name is, I can't say it. Uh, Anyway, they're Paul's traveling companions. You can name your kid that though. Uh, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia and rushed as one man into the theater. So they grabbed two of these Christians. They're in a lather, or rather, a lather. And and they run them into the theater. Well, Paul wanted to appear before the crowd because Paul always loved, whenever he'd get a chance to preach the gospel, he'd take it. But all the disciples wouldn't let him. And even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent a message begging him, do not come into the theater. These people were ticked. And, and you can still see that in Eastern culture. These people really get in a lather. You can see it even today. They'll get thousands of people yelling, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar. You know, they just go nuts. You know, they just go crazy and they get really, really passionate. Well, the assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people didn't even know why they were there. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a lot of churches I know. Uh, and uh, <laughs> so, so the Jews pushed Alexander to the front, and some of the crowd shouted instructions to him. And uh, so he motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. Uh, and, and the Jews were in on this too because they couldn't stand Paul. But as soon as the crowd realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Hoo-wa, 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 for two hours! These, you know, they didn't have TV. And uh, <laughs> he needed a life, man. He can sit there 
scream for two hours over nothing. Uh, The city clerk quieted the crowd after the two hours and said, Men of Ephesus, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven? This is what they believed. Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to be quiet and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed the temples nor blasphemed our goddess. They hadn't done anything. They just just knew they were Christians and grabbed them. Then if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. They can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of today's events. Because they all started realizing, you know, Romans come kicking butt and things aren't going to be good. Uh, In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there's no reason for it. And after that, he dismissed the assembly and finally everybody calm down. Now chapter 20 verse 1 says when the uproar had ended Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them said goodbye and he set out for Macedonia. So he goes off. Alright? And and then uh, uh, we're going to jump over to uh, to verse 17. Oh by the way, verse 7 uh, kind of an interesting little verse here. It says on the first day of the week we came together to break bread. Talking of the Christians. It's really, this is one of the uh, scripture uh, scriptures reasons, historical reasons. Um, apparently the Christians were starting to meet on the first day of the week. Which is what? Sunday. And that's why 2,000 years later. Now of course it didn't take that long. But you know then Sunday became the day that Christians gathered for worship. So if you ever run into anyone who says technically the Sabbath is Saturday, they are correct. Okay? Uh, why don't we get caught up in that? Because we don't believe it really matters what day. Some, some, some still do. There's some, uh, some denominations that I think Seventh-day Adventists are probably the only ones I know of, but they still only worship on Saturday. That's why. They just believe that's what you're supposed to do. Anyway, that's a whole different sermon. So anyway, so now pick up it's verse 17. Now, Paul's traveling around. Now, he's in Miletus. And from there, Paul sent to the uh, Ephesians for the elders of the church. And when they arrived to them, he says, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. And if we were to continue reading and access exactly what happens to him. Anyway, however, he says, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. So he, he, he said, this is, this is really goodbye now. He, he knew where he was going, what was going to be happening to him. The spirit of God was making it real to him. And he said, I'll, I'll never see you guys again. Uh, therefore I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. 
He didn't hold back the gospel. He wasn't afraid of letting people know the truth. He wasn't worried that, gee, I don't know, maybe I can't go there because people will keep coming to church or whatever. He didn't play those games. He taught them everything he knew about righteousness, about holiness, about knowing Christ. Um, He held nothing back. So then he encourages them, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock for which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, that's three years now. After for three years, I never stopped warning each of you day and night with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. He wouldn't take any money from anybody. Even though he taught that it's, it's right for the people of God to support their ministers and stuff. Uh, we don't have the time to look into all that. But for himself, he refused. He never ever wanted to get into a situation where anybody could ever say, you were doing this for the money. You were doing this for some personal gain. You, you had some ulterior motives. He wouldn't do it. He worked. He preached and did all the things that he did. He wrote most of the New Testament. This guy, phenomenal man of God. In the midst of all this, he would go out and with his own hands would uh, earn income for himself and it says for his companions. Um, anybody know what he did for a living? He was a tent maker. That's what he did. So how do you know that? Because we read it earlier. Anyway, um, in everything I did, he says, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, it is more blessed to give than receive. Did you catch that? In everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work. What kind of hard work? Working. Doing work with your hands. Earning an income. Go make some money. Earn an income. Why? So we could be in a situation where we could give. Because it's more blessed to give than to receive. These guys didn't just work and make money so they could sit around and consume all of it on themselves. It's a trap that millions and millions, truthfully the vast majority of Christians in America fall into this trap. They go out, they work hard, God blesses them, and everything they just consume on themselves and, you know, they tip God you know, that's about it. They, they don't really give much. Uh, real easy trap, especially in this consumerist society. You know, gimme, 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 gotta, 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 gotta. And we get so caught up. And not only are, do we consume more, we consume what we haven't even earned yet. With quick credit and all this other kind of stuff. We can get ourselves in quite the mess. Um, he says, look, the reason to do this, to work hard and all this stuff, is to be in a position so you can provide for your own and to be able to give to others. Because, he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he'd said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed, and they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them the most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And then they accompanied him onto the ship. And then off he goes. So anyway, so this is the history. These are the people. This is the life that he had with these guys. And now later he writes to them. The book of Ephesians. 
And that's what we're going to be studying uh, verse by verse here. Now, the book of Ephesians is kind of interesting. Uh, They broke it down into, uh, what is it, five or six, six chapters. Uh, Again, for those of you who are are fairly new to the Bible, they didn't write in chapters. They just wrote. Uh, They didn't have these verses and all these numbers and stuff. This, This was added centuries later uh, just for a point of reference so you could find stuff so that's why these numbers when we say Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 or whatever you know it's it's just to show you how to find the thing so um, they broke it down or whoever the guy was into 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 six chapters uh, pretty good break actually the first three Paul deals with theology theory if you will about God and and Christ and the relationship and salvation and all these kind of things. Uh, And then in the last three chapters, he gets very practical. This is how you do it. This is how you live Christianity. This is how you relate to one another. And and that's my favorite part. I love love the practical stuff. Okay, but we got to do the other stuff first. All right, so we're going to jump. My brother Eddie, he actually likes the first half better. He likes all the theory and all that, you know. Uh, that's why he's crazy. Anyway, um, <laughs> but uh, so we're going to jump into this and, and, and take, take a look at this. So he starts at verse 3 now to these people. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. These people knew through their experience with Paul, that it all boiled down to Jesus. Everything comes from Jesus. If you truly get this and understand, and look what he says, he says, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. A lot of us sitting around waiting for God to bless. We have all the blessings. Everything you need is right here, right now for you. It's it's like... um, People who say, gee, I wish I had more of God. I wish I had more blessings. I wish I had more of this, da, 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 da. Uh, the, rea- the reality is you have all this in Jesus. You just have to learn how to acquire it, how to reach out. God has made all this stuff possible for you. And certainly the Ephesians um, had seen all kinds of stuff. I mean, they were used to miracles and wild and crazy things were happening. God's moving all over the place. So certainly their experience had been one of pretty intense of faith. So he goes on, he talks about this relationship with God. He says, he, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be home, holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Talking about God, talking about Jesus. What he's saying here is that God, this whole thing of salvation, he didn't just make up that day. He had planned this from before the world began. God had predestined all of this to come about this way. It was all totally new to these people, the vast majority of them. This, you know, while they would, it would be easy to think, well, this is a new religion. What he's pointing out, there's nothing new about this. God has had this plan. He knew who you were. He knew where you would be. You know, God is not surprised you're in church tonight. 
You know, the angels didn't go, wow, so-and-so's here. Really? I never thought he'd come to church. You know, he, he's, he's not shocked by you being here. He knows who you are. It's all part of his big plan that he had set way out from the beginning. This whole plan of salvation was always God's plan. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but I want to get through this first paragraph here. Um, in verse 7, in him, talking about Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. It's through the blood of Christ that makes us right. You can't earn this stuff. You can't buy your way into it. You can't just be a little bit better good than you are bad. That's not where salvation comes from. True true redemption. True salvation. True fellowship with God and Christ. Does not come from religious activity. As good as that may be. In other words, it's good to come to church. It's good to pray. It's good to uh, experience communion and, and baptism and all the sacraments of the church. All of things, these things are good. But that does not save you. Alright? There's lots of people who believe as long as they do that, that's all that's necessary. I, I, are you a Christian? Yeah, I, I, I got sprayed with water once. You know, uh, Are you a Christian? Yeah, I, I went to church. You know, I go twice a year whether I need it or not. Okay, um, you know, whatever the thing is, this isn't enough. Okay, and you can go to church every day. It's still not going to do it. Where salvation comes from is not from religious activity, which again is a good thing to do. But it comes through redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. He shed his blood and through his blood, he sets everything right in your life. He sets everything right. No matter what a little rat you've been. Okay? No matter how disgusting, no matter how selfish, no matter how... You know, even if you were an ex-murderer. It'd be nice if you'd let us know about that. But uh, even if... <laughs> might, might want to pray for you especially. But uh, no where you're at, he has made it possible so that you can be forgiven. Even the worst of the worst of us. It's, it's absolutely phenomenal. All this through the blood of Jesus Christ. So, in him we have redemption through his blood... Uh, The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. This is what God has done in Christ. And he, God, made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. So what mystery? Again, to these people who had never heard the gospel. This was all, this is all a mystery. I don't understand. God knew this. Even to the Jews it would make sense, talking about the mystery. uh, Because it was hard for them to understand. They didn't quite get it. That's why a lot of them missed Jesus altogether, even though they saw him and saw his miracles. Uh, They they were so locked into their religion, they, 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 they missed the whole point. Which was that Jesus would be the Lamb of God, who would take away our sins. Anyway, he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Boy, whew, ha. this guy, you know, it's really fascinating when you read this. Uh, you know, these guys were pretty brilliant, at least with the with words. You know, these these don't think this is two thousand years ago. You know, they, there's no electricity, no anything, but they were brilliant with words. Almost kind of hard to follow sometimes. But uh, um, so he's writing this stuff out, talking about that how God has done all this together. Uh, Not by any surprise, but he had predestined and planned all of this a long 
time ago. And all of this, everything under heaven and earth is going to be coming together in Jesus. Alright? Actually, the whole reason we're even here tonight, the whole reason there's even heaven and earth at all, is because of this divine plan that God has. And I think it's always been God's plan to show his unbelievable love to the whole universe. Some of you have heard me speak about it before, but it can't be stressed enough. And, and let me go through kind of my theory of how all this has taken place. If, if, you'll, if you read the Bible, you will find out that, you know, in the beginning it says God made the heavens and earth. I mean, the, there, God has been around, there, no beginning, no end, I mean, just forever. And, and all the angels and all this kind of stuff. And who knows how long all of this was going before one day, one guy gets so full of himself he cannot stand it any longer. His name was Lucifer. Okay? And Lucifer falls in love with himself. He just can't imagine why anybody would not love him. You know, he's just, it's all about him, all about him. And he gets one third of all of the angels in heaven to rebel against God. Which, if you think, is absolutely fascinating. I mean, it's one thing for him to fool us. We're, you know, we don't get it. We can't see God. We can't fly around the universe. We don't know anything, right? We're just people in Green Bay, right? Okay? It's one thing for him to fool us, but to be able to fool angels. These guys saw God. They experienced God. They had eternal life. They just went every zing, 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 and just, and, and I'm sure God's universe was, is pretty cool. I mean, there's places on earth that's really overwhelmingly beautiful and gorgeous. And, and this world is, is a cursed, fallen mess. And even then, it's, it can be stunningly amazing. Can you imagine God's creation without sin, without curses, without... Wow! And in that context, he gets one-third to turn their back on God and to rebel. And I've often wondered, what did he say to them to convince them to turn away from God? I mean, we know his motivation. In Isaiah, he writes how his motivation was he was in love with himself. You know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be great. Everybody's going to be, I'll be in charge. I can do things better. But what did he tell them? I've got a sneaking suspicion it's the same thing he tells people today. God doesn't care about you. God isn't interested in you. God's abandoned you. I mean, who knows? I mean, the, the kind of doubts and stuff that... I don't think Satan's very original, quite frankly, I think. Of course, why would he change the formula? He convinced a third of heaven. Why would he improve, change the formula? It ought to work on us, and it works pretty good. Getting people to, to doubt God's love. God doesn't really care about you. He doesn't really love you. da 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 And through his argument, he gets a third of heaven to just rebel over the whole situation. So they all rise up and they come attacking God and we know, reading from the Bible, that God just you know, flips them like a bunch of bugs and who knows how it all went down. But they, they all come crashing down to earth. A dark, water-covered planet, the Bible says. In the beginning, the earth was dark and without form and void and water covered the face of the deep. Okay. So now what has happened at this point? All that we know is that a third of them rebelled against God God smacks them. They go crushing down. And, 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 and I have a sneaking suspicion it wasn't much of a battle. 
<laughs> they might have really got a picture of what power is that day. And all of a sudden, boom, they're stuck on this forsaken planet. They haven't been judged yet. They're not in hell. You know, people talk about, you know, in hell, the devil's down in hell. No, 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 he's not. He's still wandering this earth. Those fallen angels, all of them just, they're waiting. They're waiting for the final judgment. They know it's coming. The Bible talks about that Satan knows. In fact, in the book of Revelations, when, when, you, when you read through it, how, how Satan can tell that his time gets short and he starts getting crazy and nuts and things start really going crazy on the earth because he senses it, he knows. He's headed for a major judgment, but, but not yet. All of a sudden, I mean, all of heaven's watching this. You got to remember, he convinced a third to rebel. I'm sure he pitched it to everybody. And made these incredible claims. God doesn't care. God doesn't love. God, who knows what he was said. This incredible challenge has been thrown out. So far, all that has been demonstrated is that God's stronger. The question hasn't been answered yet. So God stops. And everybody's waiting to see what's going to happen next. And then God starts dinking around. And he's on the earth and he says... Turn on the lights. Sunlight, moonlight, stars. Roll back some of that water. Earth, da da da. And and he starts creating all this stuff. And I think all of creation was probably wondering, what what is he doing? What is going on here? And 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 then bugs and creatures, 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 critters, and all these things come in, flying things and cows and pigs and and then he comes down personally. Up to this point, he just speaks to the earth and all this stuff happens. But when it comes time for man, he comes down, the Bible says, and he forms man out of the dust of the earth, breathes life into him, and he becomes a living soul. And then they, here they are, Adam and Eve, walking around. Dee, 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 dee. Satan is probably furious, hugely insulted. What are these things? What do they get tired? They've got to lay down. What are, this is nothing. He's so insulted, he didn't even go himself. He speaks through a serpent, sends a, some other animal. This is how, how, how much he despised these creatures that looked like God, kind of have the physical characteristics of God. Gets him to fall. I think God knew the whole time what was going to happen. But yet God was not guilty in any way, shape, or form. But I'm, I'm convinced he knew it all. Paul talks about it. He was predestined from the beginning of time. But God didn't make it happen, but he knew what would happen. So well, why would he do all this? Why? Because now he is giving all of eternity, I believe, is watching this blue ball. I really believe that. What's happening? And for thousands of years now, they have watched those who have followed Satan's plan. Lives full of despair, emptiness, violence, despair. And those who have followed God's plan. Of righteousness and blessing and successful lives. And then the greatest demonstration of love the universe has ever conceived of. God himself comes down in the form of one of those creatures he made. And himself takes the punishment for all of their sins. In the body of Jesus. I think, I think heaven was going, 
And I believe on that day on the cross, God forever answered the question that was raised by Satan. Does God really love? And the answer is yes. Look what he's doing. Look what he has done. And all of this so that we now, all of us little tiny peons on the face of the earth, we and, and Paul's we're going to read about this, how we now come from being walking around pieces of dirt to all of a sudden becoming heirs of God. We become part of God's kingdom. And not just part of God's kingdom. We become heirs of Christ. We're like adopted into the family. We become sons and daughters of God. I mean, and, and the universe is going, look at this! This, this whole salvation thing, this is all so incredible what God is doing. And he's doing it in you. He's doing it to anyone who will hear this message and respond. God takes you and he transforms you. And even though you may feel no different and you will look no different other than probably smiling more than, than growling. But how you go from being a nothing uh, inconsequential to actually becoming a child of God that is envied by the angels the angels can you picture this they envy Lathan (laughs) how is this possible because they're angels we all think wouldn't it be cool if we were angels we all think, man, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great? No, no, they're going, man, I'd swap with you in a heartbeat. Why? Because now we become on, on the level of, we buy into the inheritance of the Son of God. Honestly, this stuff will start frying your brain at some point. The real tragedy is that we don't get it. And we're going to be reading about it. We're not going to get to it. He talks about having our eyes open and our revelation. All of this stuff as we get into Ephesians. He's saying, man, if you guys will just get this. The, the real crime here, the, the travesty, is that for so many believers who have this glorious experience, instead of living as victorious children of God, confident in a sin-darkened world, we live defeated. We live beat up. We live discouraged. We start doubting God ourselves. We start believing the same lies that Satan used in the beginning. This is the great travesty that we who have this incredible fellowship with God through Jesus Christ live so far below our station in life from a position of faith. It is time for men and women of God, for us as believers to realize who we are. Who we are in God. What is capable. What can God do. You know what God can do with you. Anything. Anything. Just you guys sit here. We could change the world. If we get this stuff tonight. This is what we need to do. As we grow in our faith. To realize. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. It it is like someone. Who dies a pauper. Miserable poverty. Their whole lives. And then when they take care of their affairs, they discover that they had millions in the bank, but they never knew it. It, It's like that. We have so many riches 
the riches of life are available to each one of you. Say, I don't feel like that. Doesn't matter what you feel like. If someone bequeaths to you a million dollars today, doesn't matter what you feel like. I guess you'd feel pretty good. <laughs> but uh, wouldn't matter what you felt like. It wouldn't matter. It's still yours. Well, I don't believe it. Doesn't matter if you believe it or not. If they legally transfer a million dollars in your bank account, has no bearing how you feel, why you think, even whether or not you believe it. It's your money. You just, you just have to go get it. You have to just go acquire it. It's like that for us as people of faith. And, and, and we're going to be talking about this as we get into the book of Ephesians. But, but not just the book of Ephesians. This is what church is about. This is what coming to church is about. about teaching and encouraging one another. Hello, wake up, wake up, look what we got here. This is incredible. And at times some of us drag and then those of us who are strong are supposed to pull them up. And you want to do that because next week it might be you dragging, you know. And you need to, we're supposed to be there for each other, encouraging one another, pulling up each other, praying and experiencing God so we can experience miracles that will transform our lives and the lives of people around us. And when we start walking like that, there is not a building big enough in Green Bay that will be able to hold all the people. Hallelujah. This is really cool stuff. Is it not? This is great. Anyway, okay, we're done with our Bible study for tonight. Pastor Lathan or somebody, whoever's running this place. Yeah. <laughs>